0: learn more at marines.com
2: we're recording an extra podcast this week for brighton rock because of the sad news of the passing of michael robinson who succumbed to cancer at the age of 61 on tuesday the 28th of april really sad day for all albion fans and for many others beside including in spain where he made a second career as a very famous tv presenter there's plenty of anecdotes coming up we speak to Gordon Smith, his former teammate, for the three years that they were both together at the Albion, 80 to 83. We'll also hear from sports journalist and author Spencer Vignes, from Albion Raw presenter Aidy Packham, and from Albion fans Raymond the gent Wright, and Nick Ansley, a friend of mine from the north. And we'll be hearing from Bob the Cat Bevan, who's actually a Palace fan, but who was on that helicopter journey up to Wembley in 83. I also would like to mention to anyone listening that they should really seek out the Guardian article by Sid Lowe in tribute to Michael Robinson that was published this week. It's a really touching and poignant portrayal of the man, the player, and the TV personality, some really funny elements and some some really good moments to to read about in his article. I, I seriously recommend everyone to chat that out, but in the meantime, Have a listen to these thoughts and these anecdotes and reflections coming up. Um, Rest in peace, Michael. It's a sad day, but hopefully some of these reflections will cheer you guys up. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Brighton Rock Podcast. Um, Following the sad news yesterday of the passing of Michael Robinson, a true legend of the Albion, um, joining me today, making, well, two people making their debut, I have my friend in Manchester, Nick. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the show.
3: Hello there, Russell.
2: And I have a very special guest as well joining us too, also making his debut. And we are very privileged to welcome to the show Mr. Gordon Smith. Hello, Gordon.
4: Hi, Russell. Hi, Nick. Hi. Excellent.
2: It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Obviously, sad circumstances, though. Um, Michael was uh, well known to us as Robbo, the fans. So I guess you guys probably called him that as well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And He, he was with us from 80 to 83. Unfortunately, he um, succumbed to cancer at the age of 61 uh, yesterday. Um, but he'd had a great career with us. And you obviously knew him well. Your time with the Albion coincided pretty heavily,
4: didn't it? So yeah. what, what can you tell us about him as a, as a player and as a guy? Well, we, we both came to Brighton at the same time. 1980, and uh, I mean, we did uh, have a chat about it because we, uh, both of us, we were the highest, uh, most expensive signings for Brighton at the time. So the Albion were, were spending a lot of money. I was 440,000. I think Robbo was 500,000, so he became the dearest. So we both did agree that uh, you know we're under a bit of pressure because when you're the when you're the dearest player, the big signing, you've got to perform, you know. So we were both. But we both realised we, we could. We both were, were quite sure of that. But Robbo, as I say, w- was a very, very modest guy. He was never uh, big-headed about it. And, uh, he, had, he had a very, very good first season, and he mm-hmm. fitted in the team very well. So the amazing thing about, about playing with Albion was in, the, in, in those days, the, you know, because you're playing at the Golston, you were uh, ever, most, of us, most of the team, the first team at that time, lived in Hove, and uh, walking distance to, between each other and also walking distance to the stadium. I mean, I used to go mm-hmm. on a Saturday. The whole matches, I used to walk to the match on a Saturday. Wow. From the house, you know. And uh, I mean, where, where else is that happening in football? I would imagine it's very, very rare for players to be able to walk to the stadium for a match. But we did in those days, and we were so close. And because of that, there was a great atmosphere among the players and everything. Unlike other clubs I'd been at, where we all lived in quite you know, dis- separated areas, this was unbelievable, the fact that we all lived uh, so close to each other. So there was a great team spirit, and we had a lot of time together and, and enjoyed ourselves. So that was a great aspect of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that was the thing. Is Certainly you would find quite commonplace place back then, wasn't it? Um, that people would travel to games on buses or all sorts of forms of public transport. Um, I, I'm not even sure you'd be allowed to do that now. Such a yeah. difference. Um, but so Robbo, he was a little bit younger than you, wasn't he? He came to the club, I think. Yes. Or oh, the 21, I think was twenty-one. I'm
4: saying, yeah. Sign, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, as I say, but you know, when, when he'd been at a good level, he'd already been at Man City before, as we know. And mm. but he also, but he was a big, strong lad. He wasn't aggressive in terms of, uh, you know, one of these players that went out to hurt people. And not like that at all. He just used his physique. He was, he was quick. He was strong, so he could win the ball in the air when it was required. But he was also very technically a good player because he's mm. actually the type of guy you could actually. Uh, you know, he, he would show for the ball, he would find, he made good runs. He also saw you when you actually made runs towards him. Because I was playing midfield at, at that time and mm-hmm. when I signed for the club. And, and I was playing from a deeper position and then going in to join the strikers because that's why Alan Molly signed me. He wanted me to be able to get from midfield into the box because he, he knew I was capable of scoring goals. And you, but you need to play alongside the right kind of players to do that. And Robbo certainly was somebody who was a special in that respect, he was, he was strong, but he was also a very good team player. Yeah,
2: and there was uh, a bit of pressure on him as well in terms of he was the man to try and fill the boots of Peter Ward, wasn't he, I think, as the, um, the timeline. Um, so, I mean, he was obviously a bit of a different player to that. Any idea what the fee was? Because I was researching it, I couldn't see. I know City bought him for £750,000 and um, apparently made a loss on him. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I, think it was I
4: think it was 500000 because I signed for four forty, and then, but he was he was dealer, so he became the, the highest signing at that time. It was five hundred thousand was his fee. Yeah,
2: hmm. and um, just bringing it with, with Nick, you um, you were saying to me earlier on today, I think or yesterday about um, Robbo scoring. Was it your first uh, the first goal you saw, or was it his first goal you saw?
3: No, got um, Michael was the reason I looked right, and I said um. I was 14, 1981, 29th of August, 1981. Um, mm-hmm. i have never been to a football game. I was absolutely mad on football. And mm-hmm. we had a lodger stone at the time. He was a Brighton fan. And um, he realised I was actually mad on football. At the time, I was a Leeds fan, just because Leeds were one of the better teams at that time. <laughs> and <laughs> and he, he took me down. He took us all, the whole family down to the game. Now, my mum and dad weren't really into football. We got down there, got down to the Goldstone. Uh, I don't know if you will remember this game, Gordon, at all, but um, we were against West Brom mm-hmm. um, and it, it was packed. It was an absolutely beautiful day and the Goldstone was packed. And you can just imagine, when you, you know that first feeling when you walk into a football ground and you see the crowd, you see the pitch. I had one of them moments. And that, so that was it for me. I, that was bright and straight away. I was converted to that stage. And then when the team came on, obviously that was a team with um, yourself in it. Gordon Mike Robinson was in it, and I just forgotten. I time plays on your memory, but I remember the goals all being scored down the north bank and the north bank surging down like Easter, <laughs> but it wasn't. they were all scored down the south end, and yeah. uh, Mike Robinson scored the opening goal, um, and we were all over West Brom in the first half. Fantastic. And he scored the opening goal. And I remember it being miles out and it being a fantastic volley. It wasn't. It was, it was in the penalty area and he scored it. it still a brilliant goal. But And then he, he lay back like Charlie George celebration and everyone died. And it was just fantastic. And, you know, that was the first goal I ever saw live. It was him who scored it. He had that big smile on his face that he always used to have. And absolutely fantastic. And ever since then, I we mean, went on to lose, unfortunately, 2-1. But um, that was it. I was Smitten and Brighton ever since. 40 years later, I'm still supporting him. But he was the guy who set me on the road.
4: That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. tremendous. It was good that you it a good memory like that because they say, Rob, with well, that first season, he got 22 goals the first season playing yeah. together. So uh, then, you know, the, the, Peter Ward was still there at the time at first when Rob was playing, and then Peter Ward was swapped on and sold on. Andy Ritchie came in mm. at that time. That's who, mm. in, that's who came in to be alongside. And we had a very, very good run in, in the 81-82 80, 80, season because yeah. we uh, we're, up the, were up in the top six for a, a, a good part of that season.
3: That was Mike Bailey, wasn't it? He was man, yeah, Mike Bailey came
4: in and he, he took over. And uh, But it was the funniest thing. I mean, I don't know whether this is a, a factor behind it, but the club uh, upped our bonuses uh, quite a bit. And uh, it was based on the fact that where we were in the league, was the bonus system? So I don't know whether that had a big uh, aspect in terms of motivating us, but uh, <laughs> we certainly uh, we certainly had a very good run for a while. We did slip back later on, but for for a good good part of the the early part of the season, we were in the top six.
3: That was our best ever season, wasn't it? In the I think so. Yeah, highest. Yeah, yeah highest something. ever. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that's right. It was, wasn't
2: it? And um, the, the contention was, yeah, the, the football quality or style of play, I should say, versus the results, wasn't it? Unfortunately, Mike Bailey eventually became a victim of that philosophy.
4: wasn't He uh, was uh, yeah. absolutely right. What, what happened, Russell, was he, he was very, very strict on how you played and all that sort of thing. And he was more he was more to do with uh, he, he was a defensive more than anything else. I mean, he uh, didn't, didn't go down well with me because at times he did say, you know, nil-nil, set up for nil-nil here today, and I'm thinking, well, no, I want to try and win this game. You know, not set up for nil-nil, but we were very, first and foremost, we were very, very strict defensively. And I think that's why it actually did help a bit. When After you left even, I felt that, you know, we, we, were, we were actually still a little bit better defensively than we'd been before because we were all, uh, you know, mm. we'd all been coached into doing it. From midfield, actually, what happened was we all had to be more or less every time a, a, a team got on the ball we had to force them inside. We weren't allowed to let teams go down the wide area to get crosses in. We had to make sure they all tried played through the middle. He didn't want Steve Foster and Steve Gatting pulled into wider areas to defend, so he wanted them to stay sort of central. So we were forced to, as, as, as a wide midfield player, as he put me, I was playing wide midfield. We were forced to actually go wide and make sure that none of the teams could get down the wings against us. But it was very, very strict. But as I say, at times, at times we weren't really. Attacking-wise, we weren't good enough in terms of you know creating and, and, and getting goals, and that was a, that was a, that was Mike Bailey's problem really. He was a good coach in that respect, but he didn't play the kind of football I don't think the fans really wanted to see.
2: Yeah, so so Robbo himself would have also found that difficult, I guess, wouldn't he? In terms of the, the Bailey.
4: Yeah, did yeah, Robbo yeah. did because he was he was getting less support if you know what I mean? Because we we yeah. you know, weren't weren't allowed to support him. I mean, even I was. My, my main part of my game was making runs into the box from sort of central area, but because I was now playing wide midfield, he, he, yeah, you know, Mike, Mike Bailey would get angry with me if I actually made a run into the box when the ball was on the other side of the park and, and left my position on a wide area. And, I, and I, I tried to say to him, "Look, I'm, I'm seeing space here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to help Robbo and, and, and Andy Ritchie up front by going to support them." And he goes, "No, no, you're, you're you're wide. You're meant to stay wide. Your position, and all that." So. It was tougher and it was harder and it was harder on Robbo then than, than it was in that first season. Yeah, well, yeah, because
2: as you said, he got them all goals. In. He, he got 37 altogether, isn't he, in the three years and 22 yeah. of
4: them in the first year. So that's a Williams, doesn't first it? First season, but, yeah. That, yeah. That, we, we, I mean, we, we did struggle against relegation that first season, but at times mm. we played, we did play some good football. You know, we, it was the, the second season the club had been up and, and he brought in myself and he brought in. Rob but and with some good players, I mean, look at it, be John Gregory and Brian Horton was playing yeah. in that team. So we had uh, you know, Gary Williams left back and you know, Foz mm-hmm. in that team alongside Mark Lawrence as well. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. we,
1: had
2: a, we had a strong team. Definitely, it was, it was a golden time for me as well. I was sort of eight or nine going into that first top flight season, and um, so most of my more poignant clearer memories are exactly that team so it's certainly a sad day for, for people like myself um, looking back and I'm sure for Nick as well albeit slightly older <laughs> but um, <laughs> the same thing again but what, what just to go on to Robbo as a as a guy I mean he, a lot's been said about him a lot of nice things Mark Lawrence and obviously uh, seems to have had a, a very similar career path they seem to have gone to exactly the same teams yeah um, and he was called the cat I understand um and Liverpool, ironically, as not being very light on his feet. But what, what did, you, did you guys have a nickname for him? And can you tell us any funny stories? That,
4: uh, no, it was just it was just Robbo. Uh, yeah. That was a, that was the thing. As I say, we had we, we had a great team spirit. I found him an intelligent guy as well. You know, he's mm. he a bright lad, and, he, and you could have good discussions with him on things. And he was very, he was very much just one of the boys. But I mean, the, fun, the funny 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 story basically about him was the fact that um, in, in the semi final against West uh, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, I've played a couple of 12s and went going through, the keeper saved my shot and as I took it to the side to put it in the net Robos came across and almost like, got a, got, you know, just as I'm about to swing my leg, he's got across the front of me and knocked it in the net and you can see, if you see the actual footage of it I'm actually shouting at him at the time <laughs> when I'm getting get out of my way but then he puts it in the net and I think, oh, I can't really say anything, you know hmm. so I think I'm up, up classic striker's instinct, that one isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, I said, he thought me getting, a, you know, getting that winning goal, there, and he was like, "Well, I, I thought I just put it in the net, Gordon," and I was like, "Well, you did in it." And the end up with laughed about it because it was such a memorable day to to win a semi final of the cup, especially when you know the club had never been that far before, and, yeah. and what a run the run we had had in the cup. You know, cause I'd made one of his goals against Man City. We played really well against Man City when uh, we beat them. He was del- Robbo was delighted with that, having left them, you know, because he, he scored a couple of goals I think that day. So he was special player, but then, then the funny one was that the final and the cup final. Obviously, is most memorable for the fact that uh, Robbo played the ball to me, and uh, when, I, when I had the miss in the last minute, and uh, I, I must be honest, when I did say to him after the game, I said to him, "I said, I played with you for three years, I've never seen you pass the ball inside the box <laughs> in three years." I, said, <laughs> I was, I wasn't expecting that. I said, I was just all I was was in the position I was in. It was just in case he shot and the goalkeeper saved it and I could never get the rebound, you know. So that's what, when he passed it to me, uh, it was a shock and I said to him, we were laughing about it and he just said, he says, God, and I said that was because I took the one off you in the semi-final. I just thought I would make up for it. Give <laughs> <get> me, <laughs> me the goal in the final. I went, oh, cheers, Rob. You've just made me a, a, what I shouldn't be, a, a legend in the wrong sense, you
2: know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that term, that subject
4: up because I'm sure you've only heard it a million times,
2: The uh, the question...
4: Tell us about that uh, that miss. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm, pulled it up. I'm um, used to. It, yeah, I, I, I dealt I'm, with. To be honest with you, Ross, I dealt with it better in, at the time than I do now. You know, it's yeah. one of those things. It's one of those things in my life. If I if I could go, if had changed any mm. any particular incident in my whole football career, and I, there's a few things I could. I would like to change. But if, if the main one I could change would be that and put the ball in the because mm. I don't. I didn't blame Robbo at all. People are saying, mm. "Oh, no, he shouldn't have passed it to you," and I, and I laugh about it and say, "No." I was I was shocked by it, but I don't say anything other than I take the full blame for it. I should have done better with it. Uh, a shot, I thought go, I thought Gary Bailey was going to come towards me, and I thought I hit it low and hard, close to him, and it might will catch him out because it's low and hard for some reason, and it turned out to be the right reason. He dived, and uh, I couldn't believe it. He dived the wrong way, but as you know, it stuck in his legs, yeah. and uh, he got away with it. So I have to take the full blame, and I apologise in a regular occasion to the Brighton fans because I'm sorry for <laughs> But yeah, you scored the well, first goal. <laughs> I did get the first goal, that's right.
1: That's exactly. Everyone forgets that. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's it. But looking at looking back at it, I mean, you you can see either either um, scenario is perfectly acceptable having taken a shot would have been fine
4: laying it off to you was fine, just, just in the heat of the moment, you yeah. can hide the decision it was okay to be honest, wasn't it really? uh, Absolutely, it's the timing of the whole thing too because mm. I, as I went to try and get the ball for Gary Bailey and he scrambled on it as I turned away on the day I think, geez, I could have scored there and just at that, the final whistle blew do you know what I mean? Mm. You can't have another moment like that and that's why it's so memorable people yeah. have been talking about it for years, every time they do anything on the FA Cup in the, in the TV or whatever, then I, I generally get a mention for it because, you know, they say this was one of the most memorable moments of FA Cup football. And unfortunately for me, it's one of my uh, memories I wish I could forget. But it's, as I say, it, it's very significant, and it was a special moment for the club to win the cup. And I, I can't go over it at all. But it's one of these things that just happens. And I used to, I say, I had a laugh with Rob about it. But as I say, he, he, was, a, he was a lovely lad. He was, really was nice guy, and and he was very modest and didn't ever boast of anything and didn't ever say he, what he should you know, be doing. He should be giving me more of the ball. It was never like that at all. He just went out and played and did his best. And, and the significance of what he did in football, I think, was, was was brought home by the fact that Liverpool bought him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Liverpool were topside. They, they, they had Russian and, and Duglis at the time up front when they bought Robbo. So they obviously bought him maybe as a scored player, but they bought him... With a view to someone who could challenge for a place, and someone, if one of these other top players wasn't available, could come in and and, and play in the game. So that was that was the respect he had. Yeah, and
2: I think it's um, certainly true from listening to Lawrence's interview on BBC uh, yesterday. I think it was. Um, he was saying he was, he was worried about what Joe Fagan would think of him. Would he would he ever get a chance to play? And, you know, he, and, and I think it was uh, Lawrence himself was saying you. You know, you've been signed because you're good enough and because of the way you play, the type of footballer you are, that's what we want. Otherwise, we wouldn't have signed you. So um, he was seemed very modest. And reading about his his years in Spain afterwards, he obviously he played three years at Osasuna and then decided to stay and make his, his media career, which yes. is obviously a major part of this, uh, his, his life as well. Oh, um, yeah.
4: Big time he, because he obviously stayed on in Spain for the rest
2: of his life. Yeah. And I mean, even then, he, he sounded very modest with with all of his reflections on that from
4: things I've read. I don't know if you ever heard this. He told me that this. He told the other guys, too, when he was over with a, 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 a reunion for the the Cup. And he said when he first went on to the media and, and Spain TV, they said his Spanish was too good. Could he speak a little bit more broken <laughs> Spanish <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that he sounded more like he was a foreign... Uh, guest on the show you know what I mean <laughs> his fair play. Spanish was so fluent
2: fair play to him really yeah. that's, that's impressive not uh, many of us bricks do that do we no he's
4: <laughs> laughing he's laughing about it but actually, that's what he actually said they told him to do that that thought that was is brilliant
1: isn't it
2: yeah and I understand he was pretty joyful to have had I think was it six out of seven people that came up to him when he was walking with Seve Ballesteros asked for his autograph, only one of the seven asked for Sevilla Ballesteros' <laughs> autograph. Apparently he was pretty chuffed about that one as well. Oh, I bet he
4: was, yeah. That was but brilliant. I
2: mean, he's a huge, huge um, name in Spain, isn't he? I think he's... Yeah. You know, sort of hundreds of thousands of people watching him every week. He's effectively the, I presume, the Gary Lineker of, uh, of was, Spanish yeah. presenting. Oh, yeah. definitely. He was, he,
4: was, he was big over there. And, and as I say, you know, he built his reputation in this country, went over to Spain... And as I say, you know, he, he obviously was enjoying life. Uh, uh, more The more I heard about Robbo latterly there was from Foz, because Steve Foster was more friendly with him in terms of keeping in touch with him. You know, yeah. Foz, you were good pals at Brighton, mm-hmm. and uh, Foz, kept in touch with him. So Foz was the one that always kind of gave me how, how Robbo was, but he was also the one that told me that Robbo had uh, serious cancer, and mm-hmm. he, was, he was very, very ill, and that was maybe even a couple of years ago that was I heard that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and as as we said, obviously a very sad day, um, especially as at 61 years old, um, could have had a lot more time, and um, it's such a shame. But uh, yeah. it certainly seems an all-round good guy from everything I've heard.
4: Oh, um, it definitely was. I mean, somebody a special person, and that's why it's memorable. As I say, it, it, it's so sad that you you know what his funeral won't be. Uh, you know, uh, the people won't be able to go to it and and yeah. see. And pay their respects. You know that's that's a difficult side of it too.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's, um, yeah, that's that's a real shame. Um, yeah, well, I'd certainly hope that when uh, when it comes to um, action in earnest again at the Albion, that we'll have uh, plenty of tributes to him. I'm sure we will.
4: I think, um, yeah, I think that, I think that would be a major thing. I think mm. hopefully the first game back, Russell, they have a, a, a applause for him. Yeah. Yeah, oh,
2: oh, absolutely. I'm sure we, sure we would do. Um, well, Gordon, I know I'm conscious you've got to go in a moment. So uh, thank you very much for coming on. We do appreciate it. and um, We hope you'll be able to come on. Would you uh, be to join us again for a, a lengthier episode where we could talk back through your own career in more detail perhaps at some point?
4: Absolutely, Russell. No problem at all. I'd be happy to do that. And uh, that give, me a call awesome. if, give, give me a call whenever you feel free. That's great
2: excellent great and um, we, we do this podcast in association with seagulls over london you've also been up for uh, yeah. an event last year wendy and that was a great evening as well we really enjoyed having you come oh, it was to
4: good uh, good I, I, I had a lovely time at brighton i really did i had four years there and, and, and really enjoyed it
2: excellent great great okay well thank you very much gordon um, nick if you want to stay on the line we can carry on chatting but uh, but gordon thank you very much and speak to you again
4: bye to you and nick and to all the brighton fans who are listening in cheers then. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. bye, bye. So, Gordon Smith there.
2: Um, great to hear from him. Uh, great to have him on the show. Uh, what do you think of that, Nick? Reflections?
3: Uh, yeah, well, obviously, Gordon reflected on the cup final and the semi-final. Mm. I was actually wanted to go back to the semi-final because I don't, I don't know if you went to that game, but that was uh, another one of those sunny days, boiling up highbury. Yeah. We were yeah. on the... Uh, clock end if you remember it If I don't know if you've seen the video it's absolutely amazing atmosphere that day yeah I've seen the video um, yeah and um, when Mike scored uh, Mike Robertson scored that goal absolutely amazing and brilliant and because um, obviously that was a winner in the end um, yeah, that's, yeah that's it yeah yeah just fantastic fantastic days
2: I think he got th- uh, three goals during the cup run, if I'm right. Um, yeah. I did weirdly. I, I seem to do the earlier stuff. I went to the first of the games against Newcastle, and I went to the four 0 against City, um, my mm. old club. Um, I don't think I went to any of the other games after that. I've got a vague notion I may have been at the Norwich game, but I don't. Don't think I was. I think I'm remembering that wrong. Um, I was only sort of eleven, twelve at the time, so yeah. I'd, I'd probably been naughty and wasn't allowed to go. I imagine. No, no, myself. <laughs> but yeah. great, great times, definitely. Um, yeah. Was it? Was it? He you know, must have been up there as one of your favourites then, I, I guess. Uh,
3: um, yeah. Uh, so that whole team, a bit like you, but that team being my first team, and all those names that he, uh, that Gordon was quoting, um, that that was probably the, the, the iconic team. The other, the other thing about that team, I think they were the team that wore the British Caledonian shirts. I might be uh, yeah. wrong, I think that was the first yeah. season with the British Caledonian shirts. and um, My dad uh, worked for British Caledonian, and yeah. he was in. He was involved in the, uh, I think, the famous flight, getting the British Caledonian helicopter from, yeah. uh, if you remember that, when they went over in the cup yeah. final and they flew over the ground. Yeah. So obviously, again, there was another connection there with those that team. So yeah, that's probably, I wouldn't say my favourite team, um, but it's my first team, so I'll always remember it, and obviously... Robbo was part of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's obviously very sad. We'll be getting other interviews with uh, some other fans and people talking about him later on, and um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be many happy memories. Um, in terms of you, just while I've got you on the on the phone, making your yeah. debut today, your round being supporting history. So, your what was your first ever game? Then I'm just trying to get that. Ahead
3: and talk. That was it. That was it. It was the West Brom Brighton game down at the Goldstone when. So um, that was which when was that again so that's... 1981 29th of august 1981 yeah yeah you can find it on youtube still that was uh on match of the day it was the second game on match of the day that night so yeah um but i didn't. Get, i didn't get too many games um it was you know you talked about how we all got down to the games in those days um i lived in a village near billingshurst we used to have to get the train down from billingshurst down to Littlehampton and across from Littlehampton across to Hove. home yeah. um, it, took, it took ages and uh, so going down was even though I, I nowadays looking back at it, it's only half an hour drive down to Brighton. Um, back then getting the train nearly an hour and a half. So, uh, it was always a struggle to get down to games, but you know, I was, I was smitten. I've been Brighton ever since. So
2: yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, that's good stuff. And obviously people listening in will detect your accent is not quite a Billings first accent. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a bit of a twang, haven't you? Yeah. Tell us where you've been for a number of years now.
3: So for since 1990, I've lived up in just outside of Manchester, a town called Rochdale. Most people have heard of it. Usually they operate in the third and fourth divisions, third division team, well, second division team now. Um, so, yeah, Rochdale for the last oh, however many years that is now, 30 odd year now. Um, uh, but I've basically trawled around all the northern grounds following Brighton. Everything north of, um, uh, Birmingham, I'd, I'll, I'll go and watch games. Um, usually on my own. Usually it would be an horrible November rainy night and, uh, we'd got, we see ourselves get beat 2-0 by Burnley or something like that. But, um, I think that, that, that's what's making this season so much fun and the seasons before, you know, these last few years have been sort of golden years really. Um, it's just made it fantastic watching it. I mean, I know we all moan about the odd game here and there, but when you look back on it in the round, these have been some great seasons for us.
2: Oh, yeah, they have they have indeed. Um, well, I mean, hopefully there'll be plenty more to come as well. The, yeah. As far as the Rochdale thing goes, I mean, the, the Rochdale on a Tuesday night song takes on a different meaning for you. That's a one in seven all the
3: time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I t- well, Rochdale actually is not a bad ground. Uh, it get, it's got a bad rap, but actually if you go to Rochdale, it's a really well-run little club. Nice little stadium, nice compact stadium. You know, not, yeah, yeah, Scotland. Um, yeah, you know, so it's got, it's got, it's got the, um, it's got, it's got that sort of reputation, but actually it's a nice little club. It's doing reasonably well in the second division at the moment. It'll always struggle. It doesn't get very big crowds, what, two and a half thousand, something like that, regular supporters, but they're dedicated, you know. So, you know, they're, they're not my second team, but you, you can't help but keep an eye out for them.
2: Yeah, well, we we went down to uh, to Wembley. Well, you came down. I went across to Wembley yeah. for a, their playoff game against Stockport. Um, that's right. Yeah. Quite a few years ago now, wasn't it? And, um, yeah. I remember a certain Liam Dickinson scoring for Stockport that day.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, that was what there was. I think something like twenty-five thousand in that crowd that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah we rattled around Wembley, didn't we? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Certainly did. But anyway, great chatting to you. I'm glad, glad we're able to share reminiscences reminiscence of, uh, of Rob uh, like said he will sadly be missed. We'll probably like yeah. to get you back on the show for a, a bit more uh, chat about yourself and your Albion stuff in the future as well. Um, you are notoriously negative on uh, Twitter, aren't you, Nick?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Famously yeah. so. Um, yeah. If anyone wants negative action, what's your Twitter handle?
3: Um, it's Rochdale20. It took me ah. 20 attempts to dial in into Twitter. <laughs>
2: but despite your negativity online you are a lovely chat and you do come across as quite a bubbly character so i think i think you're all all in all a good guy aren't you and uh it's always always a pleasure chatting so we'll we'll leave it there we'll we'll chat again soon all the best and um, yeah i'll talk to you later cheers bye-bye all the best cheers hello well we are now joined by ad packham from the Albion Raw. How are you doing, AD?
0: I'm very good, thank you very much. Russ, how are
2: you? Yeah, not too bad. Surviving lockdown then?
0: Um, I'm, judging by the conversation we've just had, I'm, I'm surviving with uh, a, a much tastier beverage than you. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's an evening now on the Wednesday and I'm supping upon a cup of tea. <laughs> not quite the beers I'm normally doing for these. Um, what have you got there now?
0: Uh this is uh I've I've just had a delivery from Tiny Rebel. Uh and uh, this is the uh the Dutty I am on at the moment. But uh mm. I just had a a pump up the jam, which is a jam donut in uh in liquid form. Which <laughs> sounds like it shouldn't work, but it really does work. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's it's, been great. A, it's been an interesting day today.
2: <laughs> I've got to try some of them later on. I do like a a new one to try. Anyway. Yeah, we know they're <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, so as we were saying, also off air, a little bit messy at the West Ham away game,
3: for example. <laughs> um,
2: anyway, we're speaking to you tonight, because we've had the bad news, haven't we, this week about the sad passing of Michael Robinson, uh, Robbo, uh, legend of the early 80s with the Albion. Um, you are of the same age as me, thereabouts, we've just been discussing. Slightly younger, <laughs> but you will remember him as yeah, you're I would.
0: you about that, not you?
2: I am a bit, yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, you're, we, we both remember him from the, the same era, effectively, just pushing towards yeah. teenage. And he was one of those guys, wasn't he? He was a figure that came in in the top flight. He was with us for three years, scored 37 goals, 22 of them in that first year. So he very much was one of the focal points. Um, what's know, your memories? What
0: that? of that? Well, I mean, very, very patchy, if I was to be completely honest. Um, obviously, I, I was going, I was going to the games, but I wasn't going as regularly as uh, obviously we do now. I mean, I was 11 years old in, in, in 83. So just to give you some sort of like, so, you know, there's, there's flashes, there's flashes of brilliance and you see, and obviously then the, the video roles and the things that, and the things that you see subsequently. But I mean, let, let's just talk about that record, 22 goals in the top flight. Um, which for an Albion player, I don't think will ever be beaten. Um, mm-hmm it's uh unless we 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 progress massively, I think that is a record that's going to stand for a very very long time. I think what Mazda got fifteen last year yeah so,
2: I think so yeah, um, yeah. But, but,
0: you know it's something that it's it's, it's a very impressive feat uh, that and uh, something that is quite often forgotten i mean when you t- when people talk about Albion goal scorer, he you, you t- you, you talk Peter Ward, you talk Gary Nelson, you talk Glenn Murray, you talk, um, mm. even Nicky Forster before you get to Robbo. He's not, he's one that is not often remembered, but his contribution and what he actually achieved with the album is something that is is quite legendary, really.
2: Yeah. And three of the four we've, uh, years in the top flight first time round, so pretty much 50% of, uh, Oh, just just under 50% of what we've had in the top flight altogether and to have done the business there. Also, the cup run, of course, with, um, I think, three goals in that cup run, including the crucial one in the semi-final. Um, he tended to pop up and, and get some good ones, didn't he?
0: Uh, he? He could have had the biggest of all, couldn't he? Uh,
2: yes, I know. <laughs> I didn't bring the subject up with Gordon Smith when I was chatting with him earlier on. Um, I, I left it to him to volunteer the information. But, yeah, Exactly. And, and in your view, do you think he should have? Uh,
0: I know, I, I've, I've interviewed Gordon before, and I know exactly what he, I bet, I bet he said that it was a great save by Gordon by, by uh, Gary Bailey rather than the bad miss
2: <laughs> I think he has done before, but on this occasion, I think he said it just didn't quite get past his dangling legs or something like that. <laughs> so he was saying a bit of luck was involved, I think, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one he could have done either, really, couldn't he? You could understand them, either either choice. Um, if he shoots, he could either miss, it could be saved, and to safety, it's, it's or it, it could be saved into into it, his it, path. It,
0: you know, it, if, if Smith scores, he goes down as as an all-time legend, which he isn't ready, but, I mean, he's re- he's remembered for, for, uh, for negative reasons, even though, again, he, he was another player that that was a very successful at the top flight level for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And did score in that cup final. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Poor guy. He he's been very gracious about it and he continues to be, I think. Um and he he had a lot of good things to say about Robert, uh saying he was a nice lad. I think we worked out he was he was still just twenty one, about to turn twenty two when he signed for the Albion. So he was still a young mm. lad when he came to us. Um as well, it has to be taken into account. Um I think he's about four years younger than Smith. Um and he, yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he came in and he, he he was quite an affable guy, apparently. He was good around the dressing room, decent lad, um quite modest as well. Seems to be the thing that's been mentioned both in terms of what Gordon said earlier today and also in terms of what I've read on that lovely Guardian article um where... Oh, even what, in the
0: Sid Lowe one,
2: yes. Yeah, which was excellent. I recommend anyone to, to chat that out and have a read because it was, it was a really good article. Um, which reflects on his whole career, and the bit about Spain, I thought as well. You know, even then, in his later days, he was still very modest. Then, from some of the interviews and quotes uh, from that oh, article, yeah. I mean,
0: there was there was a, a common joke that he went, he was the, the Spanish Des um <laughs> which is which was doing which is like with how he's described his media career over here. Um, yeah. But, Yeah. No, it was quite revolutionary in the way, he did. and don't forget, he was doing all of this uh, very eloquently in, in, in a language which was, for one of the better words, foreign to him. Um, yeah, but you know, he he feels that he, he that he was Spanish. He when he's speaking about the Spanish team, he was he was regard- he spoke to them in, as we. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, he's his broadcasting career is something that in Spain is going to be is. Revered very, very highly, um, and uh, you know, and um, that's mm-hmm. that's that's a country where football is actually a religion. And, and to him to be, like in his own words, be welcomed into their homes with open arms, and, and to be held in such high esteem, it is it's such a wonderful thing. But the, th- the other thing I did pick up on this week was well, obviously we were, the news was I mean, sixty one is, is is of no age. I mean, I, I was chatting mm-hmm. to. Uh, to Rob on 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 Twitter probably about a year ago. Um, Trying to get him onto our show, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but I, I knew I knew he was uh, very poorly then. Uh, I thought he was fighting it, and I thought he was winning the battle. So um, hmm. it was a bit of a shock to, to get this news. But uh, when you read, when you're looking at the, the the other the comments that are coming out from from his peers. Um, Stuff that you put people that you probably wouldn't expect that, that, um, for instance, that Graham C. Ness, uh was was one of his best friends and uh, mm. and he'd been trying to call him all week um, uh, and, yeah. uh, and he, he just, just just to have a chat and then Michael uh, Michael he, he stopped taking his calls because. Yeah, <laughs> he just couldn't deal with it. Mm. But it was, uh, and again, like uh, I didn't realise how intrinsically linked that Mark Laurenson and Robbo were, the fact that they grew up together and they played cricket together as kids. Yeah. Yeah, Um said yeah, uh, so when, when...
2: Lawrence said he caught him on 47 in a cricket match um, when up in the North West, uh, Blackpool and uh, somewhere near Preston. Yeah, it's yeah. bad, isn't it? <laughs> and they, they followed uh, almost uh, the same yeah. career path, didn't they? As well. well.
0: Yeah, well, Robbo bought his house in Hode. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, he's one of, you know, there's, it, like I say, I've got flash shot images of him, of, of memories of him in my head. I mean, there's this, you know, it, it, the players that I remember with particular fondness for uh, what I saw with my own eyes didn't really come till. A little hmm. bit later with the like with, with the likes of Steve Penny, but I mean I was, I was there. I was at the cup final and and uh, you know it's you know as a, a, an impressionable eleven year old, I mean he, you know in that run he was uh, hmm. you know that, all of those players particularly stand out for me. And you know we've lost actually if you look um was the the club were running uh, 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 I think actually I think it was the BBC they were running they they showed some uh, the highlights of the FA Cup game against Man City in, in that Cup run. And Rob Bowes, I think, his, his, I think it was his first goal, was made by a, another Albion player that went and played for Northern Ireland, sort of Republic of Ireland, who we've also lost, which is uh, Tony Grealish. Yeah. And that run and that finish, wow, what a goal that was.
2: Yeah, he did have a, um, a habit of doing that, I think, those roving runs, didn't he, from time to time. I think a few of his goals were like that from from what I understand because okay, my, my memory of him is like you. I would, I would have been 12 in the cup final year um, and I, again, it's, it's fleeting glimpses or images that I'm not sure what is memory and what is just footage I've seen and remembered. the footage of. It's hard to, it blurs into one of it, doesn't it? But mm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same, same with you, the Penny and Saunders sort of era um, in terms of what I remember more poignantly and more clearly but but I do remember little flashes of um of things. Um, just I think he seemed to have a good presence, very seemed a charismatic sort of looking fellow. Um, seemed like a boy next door has a smile of, to use a clip. Yeah, a
0: smile that would light up a room, so yeah, yeah, yeah. and a uh, driver yeah. like myself has a penchant for a very for a very silly hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't like to say.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, actually, yeah, I can confirm that. On both sides, having seen some photos of Robbo uh, in the news this week. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously a very sad day. Um, hopefully he'll be remembered well. I'm sure he will. And it, I mean, it'd be nice to finally get back to the football, which may not be till next year, the way things are going. But whenever it is, whenever we're finally back at the Amex, I'm sure we'll give him a very big uh, tribute. Um yeah, and
0: yeah at with. the end of the day, Boston, i've been saying this to anyone that will listen it's like you know we're all we're all missing the football and and the longer this goes on, even more so, but the fact is people are dying, and yeah. uh that you know and when it's safe to go back we'll go back, but let's just what let's just get you know keep safe, keep everyone well yeah. and um we'll worry about we we'll worry about like twenty two blokes kicking the bag of there about a bit of grass uh, when we come to it. When it yeah as important as that seems and as as important as it is to us, there are more important things right now. And we have to think about that first.
2: Absolutely. So well said, sir. And, um, yeah, just finally on the Robbo matter, you mentioned Greg Soonis earlier hearing a couple of his interviews on Sky Sports News. He was talking about how conversational (laughs) with his storytelling Robbo was. And Gordon Smith alluded to that uh, speaking to me earlier as well. Um, essentially I think Sunis said at one point he was on the phone with a full battery and in the end his wife was nagging him to get off the phone he'd been on the phone way over an hour just one more story one more story the battery's going low <laughs> he drained an entire battery of a man uh, while chatting and Gordon said that uh, I think similar thing he could just go on for hours and I think in that uh, Guardian article they said something like if you met him for lunch uh, you'll be chatting till you dinner be time
0: for dinner <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: so um i think it's good to leave leave with those thoughts happy memories of the man i'm sure and uh let's hope uh well let's hope everyone else pulls through this okay um for this this current period um there's been obviously you know in michael's case it wasn't uh anything with covid it was obviously it's a uh, cancer but uh but you know tough times in general but hopefully we'll get through them all and hopefully those interesting looking beers you're having we can share some of those in person <laughs>
0: Well, we all know that's going to happen, Russ. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. We can always do it by Skype, can't we? I, I'd pop out and get some. <laughs> you, you called me <laughs> short, actually. Russ, I was having a boring oh, tea night tonight.
0: Well, actually, I, I, you've called I've done a, I've, I have been trying to shop local. Actually, there's been some wonderful... Uh, there's one of the local bar stores here in Worthing. Um, oh. They they've, uh, they are still serving. And uh, they are basically... They, they put up on their website... Mrs. De Brooksteed, um, they're putting up uh, what beers they've got on, uh, and you ring them up, and the and minimum order is four pints, and they, like you say, right, I'll have four pints of the uh, the deck chair hells or whatever it is they've got on, and uh, they, they put it in a bladder pack, deliver it to you, <laughs> and, uh, and then there you've got a pint from the pub, directly from the pub. It, it's, it's, it's great to keep these local places going. All, all the local breweries like uh, Gun and uh, Riot and Beer, etc. They're, they're all like uh, out there keeping keeping brewing, keeping delivery, keeping the. the so let, let's keep let, let's keep the local economy going by drinking beer. That's what I reckon.
2: <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's quirky and it's fun, but it's just, it's essential as well. And I completely agree with your sentiment. Keep drinking, boys. <laughs> as long as you're old enough. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Uh, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> if it's at home, you can, can't you? Uh, with the approval of an adult, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So if your little ones having trouble getting off to sleep, I think if you're over the age of five, they they can I mean, be allowed.
1: <laughs> yeah, get a
2: jam done. Adi, it's hey, It's a pleasure as always. Thanks for joining me, and um, I will speak to you soon.
0: No, worries. I'll see you soon. Cheers.
2: Well, I then caught up with author, sports journalist and Albion programme contributor on a regular basis, Spencer Vignus, where he reflected on his first year supporting the Albion from 78-79 and his memories of Michael Robinson thereafter.
5: The Albion in the 1978-79 season, so we were still in, uh, in the old Division 2 then, so what's basically the championship now, um, I promoted that year. Uh, Peter Ward was still our main marksman, um, but I think as uh, Alan Mullery once told me, that sounds like it's name dropping, doesn't it, that, that's, that's ridiculous, <laughs> but as he once said, you know Peter Ward was um, the guy who was going to get your goals getting up into the top line, but once you were there, you needed somebody else with a little bit more about them, um, and that was where Michael Robinson came in. Um, and he was bought in the 19BT. I remember because I missed it. I was away visiting family in Norway and I came back to hear that we'd bought this this centre forward from Manchester City. And I knew uh, very little about him because the previous year or two he'd been at Manchester, up at City, and he hadn't really done much there. I think they have been playing him in the wrong position from what I, uh, I remember and what Mullery once said. And Mullery saw him as basically, rather than as a striker who ran around the wings and chased after the ball, he saw him as a striker who just stayed up front. We got the ball to him, he put the ball in the net. And that's exactly what happened that first season, the 81 season, when he scored, uh, I think it was 22 goals in the end.
1: Yeah, that's Um,
5: right. He was a revelation. Um, I think the first goal I remember seeing him score was at the Goldstone against Norwich. And uh I hadn't quite graduated to the North Stand then I mean, I've only been about twelve, and I was at the West End, but he scored a goal into into the north goal at the Goldstone against Norwich from
1: about no. the keeper into the net and
5: I just remember thinking, "Hey,, we've got something here." And uh, yeah, he was he was he was remarkable. I mean, he just he just went on scoring that season. He was the difference between us staying up and going on that year, the nineteen eighty eighty one year. Yeah. Although uh, he didn't score quite as many goals the following season because Alan Mullery left and Mike Bailey came in and we we adopted a slightly more defensive formation. But he still got his fair share of goals there. And even the season after that, when we actually went down but reached the cup final. Yeah, you know, he still weighed in with quite a few goals and I think he scored three. Yeah uh, in the cup road. In in yeah, including the goal the winner in the in the semi final against Sheffield Wednesday, uh, the Hills for a bit of a goal but they all count. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're speaking to um, Gordon Smith, and um, he was saying that um, he nabbed it off him. (laughs) (laughs) He he, he took it off his toes, basically. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. It's a classic striker move, isn't it, that one? Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Robert was there, and it was just like, move, I'm having this. Which is funny, of course, you know, he, he showed that
5: striker's kind of selfish streak there. Hmm. in the semi-final and of course famously he didn't in the final rather than going it alone he yeah. laid the ball off in in the, the divine seconds of 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 uh injury and uh, not injury time of extra time yeah he laid it off to gordon smith rather than having a go himself um and it was funny because funny only last night i was going back through some bits and pieces, and i i found some uh some quotes um that andy Ritchie had given me for an interview i'd done with him andy Ritchie was ex-Brighton striker who was famously sold uh, just before the quarter final against yeah. Norwich who was sold to Leeds. And Andy said that, you know, he, he was watching that final and, of course, Gordon Smith missing the heifer. And uh, he was saying, well, it would have been either Gordon Smith or myself, you know, playing in that game. It would have been one or the other. And he was thinking, well, I wonder what I would have done if, if Robbo had laid the ball across me. How would I have taken that shot? for yeah. time you he tracked it or done whatever but you know it is what it is unfortunately a, but yeah, yeah the, the more I look at that the more I do just think oh Robbo just go it alone <laughs> just
2: do it yourself mate be selfish because if, if, you, if, you, if you'd have a go, I mean, there's a number of things can happen. You could miss completely. It could be saved and held or put to safety. But it could rebound either to Robbo or to Smith. So there's various different scenarios, isn't there? He could have still been the hero, or he could have been the villain. <laughs> but yeah. it feels... I mean, I, mean, I mean, Smith, he said since, I mean, he, you know, he may well have told you that, I mean, if he'd have put it either side of the keeper, then... Yeah. Yeah. It probably would have gone in, but yeah. his school of thought was to hit it through
1: him, kind of through his legs. Yeah. Which often, um, often strikers would do with success, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. But it's the, the, the right thing to do, but of course, you know, I mean I mean people forget it was a good save. Bailey came
5: out, narrowed the angle, did everything he possibly could. You know, yeah, Gordon Smith didn't score, but it was a save. It's not it's not like, you know, he put it into Rosette or something <laughs> like that. You got it on target, it's just Gary Bailey made the say.
2: Yeah, yeah, but certainly that cut run Robbo will will be well well remembered. I think, mainly for his part in that. Um, oh yeah. I was listening um, the other day to Mark Lawrenson on the, one of the Five Live Daily podcasts on BBC, and uh, he was talking about how Robbo had tracked similar career lines uh, obviously they've both been at Preston Robbo yeah. diverted to City but then they both went to Brighton both went to Liverpool Republic of Ireland um, uh, quite uncanny that, that really isn't
5: it I, but think, I think actually I think their connection goes back even bef- you know well before Brighton I mean it yeah. The Preston Yeah. Like, but before Preston I th- I've got a feeling they played it was either junior football or junior cricket before in the same I think circle. It was
2: cricket from what Lawrence was saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right, that's right, it would have been cricket. So they've known each other, you know, since, well, forever. Yeah, because I think think Robinson was born in Leicester, but moved very early age to Blackpool, didn't he? So his parents moved up there to run a guest house, from what I've been reading. So very much a Blackpool boy in essence. Um, And yeah, yeah, I mean, he's in a pod, really. I'm sure Laura Laura is very much a a Northwesterner, isn't he, at heart? Um, Yeah. But one of the things that Lawrence was saying on his interview was that uh, they ironically nicknamed him the cat for his... Uh, for his non-light-footedness um, <laughs> during his time at Liverpool, would you say that was um, a bit harsh? I mean, having seen him as an Albion player, I'm trying to remember. Really, he seemed mobile enough, didn't he? <laughs> oh well, well I see
5: th- I th- he was a he was a big guy anyway. I um, hmm. uh, remember War- you know Peter Ward saying something about him. You know, he was he was a uh, a big man and whatever, and kind of almost a bit of a pin-up shape kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he was mobile enough. Yeah, because um, he was six foot, but he was strong, wasn't he, I think? Yeah, and I mean, his, his strength, I think, was his, his asset. It, he was like, you know, it was like having this rampage, you know, rampaging bull up front, <laughs> which you needed then, because, you know, it, it was a, a harder, more physical game then. Yeah. And you didn't want to have a little bit about you. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, Wardy relied on on pace and just sheer speed, and, and he was good off both feet. But yeah. um but Robbo was something else. I mean he was he, he had a great shot on him but he had the strength to enable him to shake off opponents and carve out opportunities to, to actually, you know, uh, have a go. Yeah. The funny thing apparently is when he first turned up at Brighton he was actually quite a shy lad.
3: Right you know, to Morton. Hmm. Hmm. He was uh it, it was I was listening to, to
5: one or two of the you know, his his colleagues from Liverpool, uh remembering in the, the other day, Graham is talking about what a larger than life carriage people. was. When it came to Brighton he he wasn't he was actually quite quite shy. He was actually quite in the background. I think like a lot of players from that era, Brighton rather brought their personalities out. You know, um hmm a lot of members of their team, you know, they they ran out, they drank together, they partied together, socialized together. You know, it was never like going out in, in small groups. They went out as one big group. Yeah. And I think what personalities,
1: you know, really kind of came out during that time, you know, a lot of them went from
5: being quite shy boys, literally, to, to men while they were down there.
1: Yeah.
5: Um, and I think Robbo was very much like that, you know, that's, that's where his yeah. personality kind of came to the fore.
2: Yeah, and I mean, as you, as you've alluded to the type of striker he was and the type of striker who need to be. We need to have those kind of strikers in that era, and it's very much uh, a very laddish sort of culture. So I guess if you're not particularly outgoing to start with, and he was what 21, just coming up to 22, when he yeah. signed, um, yeah, it's quite understandable that he might be like that. Um, the other stuff that was interesting, actually, um, there was a Guardian article I'm sure you're aware of that was written by Sid Lowe, uh, which is a really nice article if you haven't checked it out, I would recommend it, which covers his whole career it's it 's a, uh, a very poignant uh, piece, um, but in that he was talking about um, i think things that tie in with that shyness actually in modesty as well he was um, I think he was, he was interviewed about his time at Liverpool and he said, oh, I just had to get something on it and Ian Rush would do all the work. You know, he'd scored the goals. I really didn't play any part. Any, anybody could have done what I did. That's pretty much what he was saying. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure there's more to it than that. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to have people that are genuinely modest in, in that regard, I think. That's one... He, point was, point. he was a
5: big man, but he was very humble. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, the, the larger they are, the more kind of, you know, there is to them in terms of, you know, their, their personalities, good and bad. But no, he was a big man, but he was remarkably humble. Yeah, he sounded um, an
2: intelligent man as well, and uh, and as he went on through his career, clearly, um, yeah, he made a name for himself, and uh, I think was well-liked by everyone, certainly from what you were saying, Graham, Souness and others talking... Um, yeah, like yeah.
5: Well, you're right, you are right, because, I mean, I think mean, it's times like this, you know, you only ever hear nice things about, about people when, you know, when they pass away, when they die and everything, you know, it's it's hmm. almost what you expect. But I think in Robbo's case, no, he really was that highly thought of, you yeah. know, not just amongst players, because he was also well-known amongst amongst members of the press, you know, and the media, hmm. because he enjoyed an equally successful career, albeit in the Spanish media. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were aware of him back here. Sidlow, of course, you know, being out in, in in Spain as well, he was aware of him. So, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, of all the kind of ex-players who crossed over into the media, I mean, I can't think of anybody who did it quite as well as Robbo, and of course he did it. In his second language. Yeah.
2: We, in his language that, you know, he had to learn when he moved out to Spain. Which is incredible, it's isn't cool. it? I mean, it's very impressive. Yeah. Um, I don't speak any other languages, shamefully. And uh, <laughs> the idea of actually getting to the point of being able to present the programme to major mainstream um, TV audiences um, seems, <laughs> seems incredible. And he was very I modest I, about I think, I that. I think that was almost like his, his thing, you know, his hook when he first went into the media was that because yeah. his Spanish wasn't great...
5: People in, in Spain warmed to him because he spoke almost kind of like this this uh, you know uh, uh, I mean we've got you know uh, the thing with France strongly
1: you know where you speak yeah. a bit of, a bit of English and he did a kind of whatever the, the Spanish English equivalent is he was like that
5: yeah, you it's know Spanish. That, that way and people loved him
2: for it. Yeah. And uh, again, he was very modest with, uh, with that part of his career too. But um, I do think, just going back to what you said earlier about um, uh, him as a, as a player and and as a person, um, I remember your, your tweet after the sad news on Tuesday was, I think you said something like, um, it's not very often you uh, feel as upset as you do about someone you haven't met. Um, you've obviously met quite a few um, ex-Albion players in your career uh, doing the books and so on. Uh, yeah. But uh, is, is part of that, the, the, the personality side of it, do you think, as much as the, uh, the persona, as much as the player? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was, I, I never met
5: him face to face because, I mean, you know, he did really relocate to Spain and he, he rarely, didn't come back here so much, you know, um, hmm. for, for, you know, the, the latter part of his life. Um, I'd spoken, we'd emailed each other, we'd spoken on the phone, we'd done a couple of tweets and stuff backwards and forwards, but i never met him face to face, and I'd right. be real ashamed because, I mean, you know, I, I, I would have loved to have done, really. He was one, he was almost, you know, I, I'm fortunate in that i have met and
1: and spoken and gone out and, you know, interviewed and drank with so many of my old
5: heroes and everything, but he was almost like the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. He was somebody I'd love to have sat down and... Had a long lunch with and everything.
2: Well, um, what what I've heard, you wouldn't be able to have anything other than a long lunch if you're having lunch with (laughs) him. He's a bit of a storyteller, I understand. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It it would have been would have been great. Um, And
5: alas, it's yeah. It did. It was. It was horrible the day before yesterday. Just Mm. kind of waking up and and just hearing the news, and it's just like you know, I I, like others. I, I was aware that he hadn't been well um but we featured him in the match program the Brighton match program just before christmas the home game against sheffield united we've been doing a piece this season called centurions oh, where yes. we've been, you know focusing someone on some of the greats and and why they were great and everything and you know uh, you know why they were so special you know real key you know Brighton legends of the past hmm. because he was a, you know he was a club legend and I haven't been able to get hold of him for that, and I thought at the time I thought, well, mm-hmm. I hope he's okay and everything. Yeah. And we, everything. yeah. And we ran the piece, and then um, I think it was in the new year he, he got in touch with me and he said, oh, I'm, I'm I'm still very much still very much here. I'm not dead yet. Hopefully mm-hmm. got a few years in me yet. And that was the last I heard of him. I, mm-hmm. I, I I got back to him and said, oh, it's great to hear. Blah blah blah. Maybe we can do something else in the future. And. Mm-hmm not
2: to be yeah it's so. such a shame but um, yeah I mean I've, I recall reading the um, article because obviously you, you do regular articles for the uh, programme don't you do you happen? I'm putting you on the spot here a bit you don't know, happen to remember which um, edition it was in do you the, it
5: was yeah I can it was the Sheffield United game ah, okay. oh ok cool. just for any so. listeners that wanted to check that out and well, I read as well yeah <laughs> it's in there it's um I mean, all the Centurions bits. There's about eight pages on on various players. I do bits, and um, um, and, um, and there's also bits of other pro You know, that cuttings from the programs that he appeared in the past and stuff like that. It's it's yeah, it's, it's something we're very proud of um, that section. You know, it really goes into detail um, about their past, about their Albion time, and, and everything. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad we did him. I'm glad we did him.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's got, got the recognition and uh, certainly sad times, but it will be well remembered. And when we finally get back to stadiums, I'm sure there'll be a good tribute to him. Um,
5: oh, definitely. And I think, I think it, is, it is sad that it's almost taken this for, for you know, some people without with big connections, you know, it's not their fault, they might have been born then, but to really kind of realise and, and wake up to exactly what a, a legend he was for the club. I mean, we all know about, you know... And Murray, and we all know about Gary Nelson, and we all know about you know Peter Ward, but but there's only one person ever in our, our history who scored 20 plus goals in the top flight, and that was Robert. Yeah.
2: Uh, and I yeah, go on. I was just going to say it's um, a point I was chatting with A. D. Packham, who does the Albion Raw podcast uh, yeah. last night, and he said um, he doesn't think that record is likely to be beaten any time in the um, well into the into the medium future
5: even. Uh no, it it takes it takes a lot, yeah. Just, you know, uh, to uh, but particularly you know for sides, you know, maybe in the in the, the lower reaches, in the bottom half of the table, which you know we traditionally have been. It's uh, yeah. you know, you're, if you get a player who gets double figures, yeah, but, let alone double double
2: figures. I was going to say, yeah, people people often cite the whole twenty. 20- Goal plus a season strike, I don't know, is this, this thing that everyone's looking for and, and they seem to think is feasible to get. Actually, very hard for anyone to get 20 goals, particularly now, of course, uh, making the point that there's less teams in the division. There's two less teams, so four less games per season, which will make that 22-goal scoring record for Michael in that first season all the harder to beat for any future well, you
5: also You've also got to remember that I think you know back then it, it was... Um, you know, although you did have you know dominant teams like the Liverpools and the having a forest under uh, a Clough, hmm. it was possible then for teams down the bottom to beat teams up the top, and it did happen. I mean, the year that Brighton went down, um, our un- which was 1983, our undoing was that we didn't beat the sides around us at the bottom. Yes. But yet we beat we we took four points off Manchester United that season. We beat Mother Goldstone. We beat West Ham and top of the league when they came down to, right, we beat Spurs that season, we, we beat Arsenal that season. Yeah. So we could still do it that year, and it was still possible for clubs, kind of, who were down the bottom, yeah. to have, you know, strikers who, who could, you know, hit 15, 20 goals a season. Hmm. Um, and he was ours. He was the only one who did it for us, though.
2: Yeah, and he'll he'll always be remembered for that, and fair play to him. As you said, ultimately, the bread and butter game's not winning enough of those. It's always got to be done. Um, As a result of him, uh, of us getting relegated, of course, um, we then saw Robbo move on to Liverpool. I think it would have been an attractive draw regardless, (laughs) to be honest. Um, Yeah, And obviously, he was quickly rewarded in... I think he was not expecting to feature too much in that season, but I think um, partly because of an injury to Dalglish, he was able to... to get quite a bit of involvement in that first season at Liverpool And of course they did a treble uh, League, League Cup and European Cup that season Which is uh, a fantastic achievement I'm sure he'll be pleased to have made the move But I'm, I'm sure
5: hey, what they will they did. they did, they won the treble that year But they missed out on the FA Cup And do you know why? Uh, no, go ahead Oh yes, I know why. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a, a certain lost, team in blue. Yeah, they lost. We, we beat them for the second year running in the FA Cup in the 83-84 season. That's right. Yeah, so two 0 I'm pretty n-. sure Robbo was part of the team that played down at Brighton that day. I was just January, the end of January nineteen eighty four. We beat them two two nil.
2: Yeah, I was just going to uh, say that. I thought that I thought he was in the team that day. Yeah, that was the Rob, game. Was that the where Jim Ross got uh, shot stuck in the mud as well?
5: I think it was. Uh, I don't think it was that game. I mm. think that one was up at uh, Anfield. We um, yeah. oh. beat the fair and square that game down at, uh, at the Goldstone. I mean, I think the turning point was uh, Graeme Souness had to go up to the first half. Uh, yeah. he, t- he tweaked a muscle and he went off. And I mean, the Albion players I've spoken to pretty much to a man who were on the pitch that day had one look at that and thought, well we're playing well already but now we've got a bit more of a chance and, and some improved. So. But yeah, Robbo was, you know, I mean he was he was an integral part of, of that Liverpool team that did the treble. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean it's, it's funny because I mean it, my last memory or probably my, my defining memory of Robbo is the last sight that any of us got with him with a Brighton shirt on which was as he went up the steps at the end of the FA Cup replay, a few months before, you know, a couple of months before he joined Liverpool. And I mean, if anyone, you know, you you question whether some players, you know, um, you know, their feeling towards their clubs and what their clubs at the game means, if you find any replay of that or any footage on YouTube or old DVDs or whatever, look at Robbo as he comes up the steps. He's the last man, I'm pretty sure, to shake hands with all the dignitaries before... You know, he goes back down to the pitch and we've lost 4 nil. And his face, I mean, he's, he's sobbing his heart out because of the occasion and everything and the missed opportunities and yeah. he's there for, you know, a, a, a long old time shaking hands with
1: people and it's, 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 it's horribly poignant actually watching it now. I watched it the other day. Yeah. That
5: morning. And yeah, it shows you, a, a, it's a mark of the man and mark of the affection that he had for, for the club as well.
2: Yeah, uh, I think so, and that's, that's a great way, I think, to, to round it off, actually, with that poignant moment uh, being uh, being mentioned. So, Spencer, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this um, special tribute edition of Brighton Rock, where we're talking about the life of uh, Michael Robinson, or his, his career. Uh, we're hoping, actually, Spencer, you'll join us for uh, as, a, as, a, as a full-on guest um, in your own right on a uh, near-future episode. I hope you'll be able to do that with us. Would you be able to?
5: I will, of course. I will, of course. And hopefully I'll have have worked out the wonders of Skype by then and the
2: quality of it might be slightly sharper. So I'd love to. It'd be my pleasure. Marvelous. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. All the best. Cheers. Cheers. OK, I'm now joined with Raymond Wright, the gent. Welcome back to the show, Raymond. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, surviving in these difficult times, Russell, and... uh, uh, touchy wood everything seems to be okay excellent uh, and uh, glad to have the opportunity of joining you again yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's really a bit impromptu this one it's, uh, we're speaking on Thursday as a result of um, me putting together a podcast this week uh, in relation to the news, unfortunately, that Michael Robinson passed away on Tuesday of this week. Uh, very sad news for everyone who's Albion connected, um, yourself included, no doubt. Um, and uh, what, what's your uh, what's your take on uh, on his time with the Albion? Well,
1: uh, obviously sad, and uh, and obviously our thoughts and prayers uh, are with his family uh, and prayers for him, obviously generally. Uh, it had a particular resonance for me because, uh, uh, I no- noticed that, that Michael, uh, cancer of skin cancer, uh, and my father, as it happens, also died of skin cancer. Uh, my father spent a lot of time in, in the forests, uh, and jungles out in Burma, uh, and I guess fair skin, uh, in, in a hot climate so it makes you more susceptible mm. to that sort of thing. So it did have echoes of my father who died many years ago back in 1966 Hmm. Um, so I have it sort of echoes as far as I was concerned I'm doing it but I have many fond memories of Michael uh, still the most successful top uh, top league striker that the Albion have had saw a a lot of his goals in in that first period uh, in Division 1 so uh, obviously, that moment at the FA Cup final, um, and, the, hmm. uh, and Smith must score one, I uh, uh, noted that Gordon, well, I remember telling the story at Seagulls Over London anyway, saying so he really hadn't expected Michael to pass to him, so he was sort of slightly on his heels when doing so. Yeah. Um,
2: this is when we had uh, Gordon Smith at the uh, Seagulls Over London meeting a few, a few months ago, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. and uh, and he's a good raconteur and obviously has have memories and he's obviously been asked about that gold Gordon on numerous occasions but <laughs> certainly from, from how he told the story he had a very good relationship and a good friendship with, with Michael and I uh, and I think they you know, gathered that they'd stayed in touch um, and I think it's all tribute to, to Michael that he's been embraced by um, two different nationalities if I can put it that way Uh, obviously the the, the English and Irish football teams uh, on the one hand and the Spanish on the other and he clearly made uh, quite an impact on on the media and I think it reflects well on his intelligence that he was able to go in there and carve out a second career um, uh, with uh, in the media uh, very successfully over there Using his second tongue. Um, hmm. Going back to memories of him, I have one one particular, a number of, of them stand out, but one was uh, a game where I think possibly the most crass decision I've ever seen from a referee, where Gordon Smith brought the ball in the sort of inside that position, uh, went along the sort of up by the edge of the penalty area, left side are attacking and got to the byline, beat a player uh, along the byline and pulled the ball back from the byline to um, the goal line uh to Michael Robinson who promptly buried it with some power in the back of the net. Hmm. To my surprise, I think Gordon and uh, and uh and Michael's surprise, the 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 referee um the goal for Gordon being offside when he passed the ball <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know how many goals would have been disallowed if that had been and were the football rule but I should think it must be you know, something 25-30% of all goals scored
2: would not have been scored if that had been the rule <laughs> um, I'm sure the, um, the rule was still the same at the time uh, uh, being beyond the last man you can cut it back uh,
1: <laughs> um, but it's, it means every time you pass a player behind you, uh, if, a, if you're the only player and there's only the goalkeeper or something to beat, then you're offside, which clearly isn't the case. <laughs> um, another memory, was a match down at the Goldstone with um, Brighton playing Spurs, and uh, we were losing, I think it was 1-0 uh, with about five minutes to go. And... Uh, I think first of all I think Gordon Smith scored, to equalise, and then lo and behold in, in added time uh, uh, Michael Robinson I think it was, it might have been the other way round, but suddenly from with only a few minutes to go we were definitely down and out and we turned the game round uh, completely. And that's another vivid memory uh, hmm. of mine and, and other occasions of Michael, who was pretty typical, uh, particularly actually in 1-1 situations, I always remember him being good at that, so, and he had the ability to head the ball through at both feet and could score from some distance. So um, hmm. a really good all-round British set to forward, but with some pace uh, and intelligence. So sadly missed, and uh, it, it does mean that we'll never have the opportunity now of, of getting them on them. Uh, a questions and answers session together Gordon and, and Michael which might have been quite entertaining
2: Yeah, I think it would have been Yeah, because they knew each other well they were at the club at the same time plenty of memories I'm sure to share um, so yeah, a bit of a shame not to be able to do that now um, I was speaking with Spencer Vignus, the author and journalist um, as well on this subject and he was hoping to get in touch with him, actually, in his later years to, um, to, well, to, to, to get some interviews and get some work covered with him. And, unfortunately, he was already uh, worse for wear, I think, essentially, by the time that came to uh, to initiation. So he wasn't able to get anything either, particularly, although I think he had spoken to him a couple of times before. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's obviously come at a time where he's only 61 years old um, everybody would have hoped he would have gone on a lot longer and it's obviously a tragedy for anyone to die at that age um, but cancer is one of those horrible things isn't it that just can, can get anybody indiscriminately at any age and unfortunately it was uh, Michael's time um, oh. have you any other memories of, uh, of, of the Albion and uh, Michael Robinson
1: well, well they're the, the, the two standout ones there I mean, mm. you know, are other examples. I just always remember you know uh, enjoying watching him play and and he and Gordon Smith were a very effective partnership, different types of player. Uh, Gordon very much of what we would call a number 10, uh, the, these days. And, uh, uh, you know, Michael, old-fashioned, uh, forward, who, you know, 22 goals in one season in the top division. I know they play slightly more matches, but that's a pretty good achievement. And it's going to be, I guess, some time before, you know, we get somebody else who scored 22 goals, or even take 20 goals in a in top league. Yeah, We could certainly
2: do with one. Yeah, I mean, certainly now and certainly at the time we needed, um, didn't we, to have that number of goals to help us survive, because we were playing a more open, entertaining brand of football in that first season Michael was with us, and, um, you know, still struggled to make sure we survived, didn't we, in that year, I think. Um, I think but, without his goals I mean, we would have gone so
1: down. So, but, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it's good to be able to have the opportunity to speak about him, hmm. Russell on this occasion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh, obviously, since I last spoke, I mean, not a lot has been happening. I, I do hope that uh, moving on to uh, things and getting back to playing football, um, that, uh, again, that it's not rushed prematurely back. I'm very aware of the sensitivity that a lot of Premier League footballers have. That they wouldn't be wanting to be tested um, for the COVID-19 uh, um, before all the people, NHS people and others working in care homes are able to be tested, and they're on top of that. The government are on top of that situation, and I, I can understand the footballers' reticence to be going back and being tested, and perhaps diverting resource for that. Uh, for their purposes. Mm. Yeah, whilst I love football to come back, I, I do think there are other priorities. Yeah, we have uh, to. Uh, and we have I'm to be pleased sure, that obviously the footballers have that. As indeed I'm pleased with the Albion's All for One uh, uh, Premier League Squad uh, initiative, which I think is very worthy and, and uh, good, and uh, delighted to see it, and w- would applaud them for it, and applaud. Tony Bloom and, and the other directors who, who've added, uh, made a contribution to their fund. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, uh, obviously sad about Michael, but it's good to see that the club still has the same sort of standards that it's always had of looking to the community and trying to help. So, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, i will not may continue. I noticed that the testing centre at the Amex... Is being uh, well used, um, uh, and I'm glad uh, not only that the, the resource was offered, uh, the location for testing, but that it is being fully utilised. So, I that's, think that's know, congratulations to the Albion for being in the right place at the. Uh, at a
2: difficult time yeah I mean absolutely it's obviously been a, one of a number of really good gestures and initiatives that the club have come up with during this crisis period, and um, I can certainly second what you said there um, here here to that, and uh, we hope that um, we'll be over this soon and we can get back to normal, but as you said as and when it needs to be, is, is the key, isn't it? OK, thanks, Raymond. Thanks for joining us and talking about your memories of Michael. And um, I will speak to you again in due course. Well, Thank
1: you very much indeed, Marshall. Cheers. Good being with you. Thanks. Cheers.
2: OK, well, I'm now joined with Bob the Cat Bevan, who's a famous after-dinner speaker and comedian. Welcome to Brighton Rock Podcast, Bob. How are you, sir? Thank you, sir.
6: I'm pretty good, thank you.
2: Excellent. I should also explain, you are the cousin of the Seagulls over London chairman, Roger Bevan, in case people were wondering about the familiar surname.
6: Yes, he's, I didn't know he was the chairman. He didn't tell me that.
2: Oh, yes, he's come up in the world, you know. <laughs> yeah.
6: Well, he's older than me. He's, he, should get, uh, he should get more credit.
2: Fair play, fair play. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, the reason we've got you on is um, because you've got a particular... Uh, angle on things really from the Albion in the 80s. Um, if you wanted to tell us about a little bit about your background first of all, and um, how you came to to know some of the players at the time when Michael Robinson was playing for us in the early 80s.
6: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I started speaking. You know, I played old boys football for many many years, and I started speaking at football club dinners, and uh, eventually uh, got spotted. And got asked to do the 1980 Football of the Year dinner, which totally changed my life from that day on. You know, within a year I was working with Billy Connolly and Jimmy Tarbuck and, and so on. But I still had a proper job until 1983. Um, uh, I, I was head of PR for European Ferries, whose chairman was Keith Wickenden, who was deputy chairman of Brighton at the time. Uh, I didn't leave European ferries. Unfortunately, Keith got killed later that year in an aircraft accident. And uh, I left the ferries later that year myself. But um, uh, in 81, I had been at the PFA dinner, uh, which was on ITV. And a lot of the Bryant players had been there and Jimmy Melia, who was manager of Brighton at the time, uh, asked the players if they'd like someone to relax and amuse them at the cup final, and he said he would, might get Tarbuck along. Uh, and he, asked, he asked the players, and the players said, well, we wouldn't mind that bloke who was on the ITV uh doing the PFA Awards, which used to be shown nationally. And... um uh, it, it didn't seem to matter that I was a lifelong palace fan. <laughs> uh, uh, and so I had no trouble getting time off. And so, uh, you know, they asked me if I would go. And obviously I didn't need to be asked twice. And, mm-hmm. um, it all started with, um, um, the, uh, they, they used to, it used to be a tradition. Uh, and I don't think it still is, but they all all the cup final teams used to stay at a hotel called the Selveston Park near Croyd, and uh, it was decided that uh, Bryant would break the mould and not just go all the way to Wembley on a coach, uh, even though you used to have police escort in those days, so you get through the traffic. Um, uh, they've decided, and it was a great. Uh, exposure for British Caledonian then, the then uh, airline, Uh, they had a helicopter that they used to transfer people from Gatwick to Heathrow. And Brighton used that to fly them fly the team from the Sales Park to uh, uh, a small patch of land near Wembley. And then we so I, I joined the team on the Friday night and Steve Poster was suspended, so Tony Grealish, also sadly, is no longer with us as the captain. And so uh, there was a dinner at which we were all presented with carriage pots, and I had uh, said a few words at the dinner. And uh, then we all retired to play snooker, and I was drawn against Graham Mose, who was the goalkeeper. Mose. Was him and we were both useless at hardly spotted <laughs> a ball and we said that was because neither of us could stand seeing a ball hit the net. So, <laughs> so, that went, um, so that went on and then they all had to go to bed except Fozzie. So Fozzie and I stayed up getting, uh, getting sloshed. Uh, <laughs> And then the next morning, you know, there was a bit of, of training in the ground. So I was with them you know, I stayed overnight, even though I only lived down the road at the time. And um, then uh, you've got your hand in front of us, did you know that? Yeah,
2: sorry, I'm just adjusting my volume here.
6: <laughs> okay, was it turn too loud? Or are you trying <laughs> to turn me off? No, sorry. no,
2: no, I don't want to turn you off, Bob. <laughs> no, and,
6: carry- uh, and, uh So, anyway, we all piled in the helicopter. I'd never been in a helicopter before. And so we all piled in the helicopter. then when we got to uh, this patch of ground, we landed where a coach picked us up. And then Jimmy Melia, rather bizarrely, asked me to go on the mic and tell the guys a few gags. You know, well, he he totally misread it, to be honest, because, you know, in those days... The big game of the year was the cup final. And, um, you know, I knew from being an absolute football fanatic that, uh, the big thing was to drive up Wembley way at the old Wembley in the coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I started to tell a joke or two, but then I sort of looked at the players and said, well, I'm sure you want to enjoy the atmosphere. Let's all do that. And then later on, Tony Grealish said to me, you did very well with their cat." He said, because the last thing we wanted was was you doing that at that moment. You know, this is a great day for yeah. them. Yeah. You know, they obviously never been there before, not like Manchester United. And so yeah. he said, you did very well for us there. And we didn't want to be rude to you. But we were very really pleased when you cleared off. <laughs> and so then when we got there. I was in the dressing room with them. And then I walked on the pitch with them before the game. And the players, you know, by then we'd all become great mates. and had a good laugh. And the players wanted me to, to be on the bench. But the FA put a stop to that. So about half an hour before the kickoff. You know, none of this could ever happen again, I'm sure. But yeah. half an hour before the kickoff, I said to the guys, uh, you know, well, good luck. And I, I cleared off to my seat in the stand. And, um, and then at the end of the game, I was back in the dressing room. And then we all piled into the helicopter <laughs> and looked back down to Brighton. Uh, where we had a big dinner, you know, and I remember saying Mike Pamba was the only football club chairman ever to celebrate a draw. Although I was able to do that again in 1990 when Alice drew in their yeah. first ever final of of Wembley, and and so uh, one of the unfortunate things, this is where I'll bring Robo in, is that I had a lot of publicity at the time. And I was single. And uh, while I was at the Cup final, my house was done. Oh, and man. so when I got to Brighton, I, ha- I had to speak at the bank. And so I stayed overnight. Next morning, I drove back up to West Wickham to sort the house out. My neighbor was a great help. And then I had to drive back down to Brighton because we had another dinner for, for Sunday night. And I I went down in my white DJ, and I I was sitting with all the players at this dinner, and when I walked in, I remember uh, Robbo saying, uh, uh, looked at my white jacket and said, was that the only thing they left? These obviously burglars of taste. <laughs> and, and so that was a very typical Robbo, who was um, who was a great character and loved a joke. You know, he was very funny, very intelligent guy, and mm. also I did go uh, on another occasion. I did go training with them, uh, and uh, I was in goal when they were smacking crosses over. bravos ahead, and I suddenly realised the gap in class. You know, he was heading it harder than most people could shoot. You know, yeah. in the score level I played. Uh he was a great he was a great lad and all all the guys were, you know, we had a great time. And of course then we did it all again for the replay, which you know is best forgotten fairly four nil and and, uh we flew away from Wembley again in the helicopter. Obviously it was night. And we flew over Wembley looking down. I was sitting next to Brian Mosley on the helicopter. Who was very fed up having let him fall. And um, he uh I remember looking out the, the window and he was he was pretty down.
1: Hmm.
6: we were looking out the window and we looked to our right and we could see Wembley all lit up, we were flying over the big green pitch. And he said he then sort of uh pulled himself together a bit and said, Sterling said, what an experience, how many people have done this, you know, and he was right, and really that's how we should have looked at it, because we didn't have campers in our phones then, it would hmm. been a fantastic feature, uh, picture, but I can see it in my mind's eye now, yeah. looking down on the pitch, you know, from the helicopter as we flew no. off and again. Some
2: fantastic occasion. I think it was the first time a helicopter had been used to transport players, hadn't it ever?
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, first uh, and last, yeah. Must have decent capacity because I mean, how, how many people
2: exactly were on board altogether? I
6: I think 30 or 40. It was, a, it was one of those great big Chinook helicopters yeah. with more than one rotor. Hmm. And w- when you sat in it, you know, I didn't know what to experience. I've never been in an aircraft before. And it was just you were sitting there, and it was like going up in a lift to start with. It was pretty noisy, mm-hmm. um, but you know, great experience. And and one of you know some of the press. I mean, the BBC were on board live, you know, because mm-hmm. the whole game, you know, it went on all day on television on both ITV and BBC. Yeah, and was
2: back press. in the good day Good old days when you yeah uh, build up the whole the yeah. whole. Was something else, wasn't it, back Then yeah.
6: So it was a it was a phenomenal experience, and um, it was also quite interesting because you know the Brighton guys, as I said earlier, were totally, they were totally new to it. And when we walked on the pitch, all the men in the United blokes were out there as well. Well, I knew Stevie Coppel uh, at the time and uh, Ray Wilkins because i done dinners. Well, in those days. The players always used to to come to the dinners. They don't really now. Mm. Uh, Probably because they get mobbed, you know. uh, People were a bit more respectful then. But um, uh, So, you know, they were all strolling around the pitch. You know, they'd been there before, been there, seen that, done it. The Brighton guys came out all with cameras. uh, And... Brian Mosley took a picture of me standing in the goal that day, which is in my book. Uh, I've got a book, nearly famous. Oh. My copy's still available. Oh, well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check
2: that out. So, so, nearly... You could you get say it on window, so. yeah. yeah. OK, yeah.
6: I'll
2: have to and check that so, out.
6: So, you know, it was a great experience for him. And And, uh, you know, I think it's true in football. It, it was the same when Palace got to the cup final and Drew with Man U, And in the replay, we never turned up and lost 1-0. Yeah. I think when you're the underdogs, you get one chance mm. and have to take that chance. And neither uh, Brighton or Palace uh, did it. So Yeah,
2: and still have not We're still both eluded those major honours. Yeah, yeah we
6: right have get- We've had one more final, I'm sorry. To you answer. have, yes. You have, yes,
2: yeah. But maybe it's our turn again now. It's on a yes. alternate basis, perhaps. <laughs> While what, what, what we're chatting about the Palace thing, what's your take on it? Because you would, you would have seen this develop from its infancy, because it, it effectively developed in the mid to late 70s, 76, what, around then.
6: What, you mean the rivalry? Yeah, what's your take yeah, on it? Yeah, I don't... You know, I don't know. I've heard it explained. I mean, various people have been blamed, like Mallory and Malcolm Allison. You see, when I started watching Palace, they were called the Glaziers. Yeah. Um, right. uh, and uh, you know, thank God we lost that nickname.
2: Yeah, we and were the Dolphins.
6: <laughs> sorry.
2: We were the dolphins, you know. Oh, we were really? like dolphin sightings off the south coast of England,
6: you know. All <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah. no, I, I didn't know that. Well, the, um, the, I, I think Mal, Malcolm knew us as the Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ma, Malcolm Addison Cook started calling us the Addisons. Uh, called us the Eagles. Yeah. And then I don't know whether Brighton copied that and turned it into Seagulls. Yeah. Or yes. whether you were called Seagulls originally. Uh, no, as I
2: understand it, we... Adopted it. I think uh, the, the rumors are somebody in a pub shouted back seagulls in in response to palace fans yeah. yeah. eagles. So apparently that's where that all began. Far, yeah,
6: that sounds, that
2: sounds like it. Yeah, yeah.
6: <laughs> um, no, I did. I did go to Brighton when I was a kid on holiday in Worthing. Uh, uh, my hometown. Oh, hometown. Oh, really? Well, fortunately, yeah. yeah, I go on better holidays now. But, um, <laughs> But I, I remember an early season, midweek uh, game. Brighton were in the second division. I went along to a game one evening. Uh, they were playing Leeds United. Uh, Leeds United, I've still got the program. Leeds United had Jack Charlton playing. And yep. they had a promising new ginger-haired lad who was only about 16 or 17, Billy Bremner. Oh, uh, yes. One of his early games, a Tuesday night of Brighton. So, hmm. so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I've always, I've always had a soft spot for Brighton, uh, despite the, um, uh, antipathy, uh, that appears to have grown. Yeah. And I've, I've been very friendly with Dick Knight. We used to work, uh, for the same clients at one point, you know, your president. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: It's his birthday today, apparently. Speaking on Thursday, yeah. Oh, right, (laughs) so um, you have to wish him a happy birthday if you see him.
6: (laughs) Yeah, oh, I might ring him. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, he's great, he's a great lad, and he did a great job for you guys.
2: Yeah, he set the path for what we for for the journey we're now on. Um, you know, without Tony's money, we wouldn't have got it over the line, but but we wouldn't have got to that stage without all the fantastic work that Dick did and many others besides. And it's good to allow us to. To now uh, survive and thrive up in the top yeah. flight, along with your yeah. guys, um, yeah. it's it a good place to be at the moment, isn't it? And um, hopefully, long may it continue. Albeit. Yeah, well,
6: I think I think they won't be able to relegate us this year, will they? Hopefully, <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't think that's happening any time soon, is it? No, no ho-
6: hopefully not. So, yeah. as it yeah. was one yeah. other thing, my memory cells kicked in a bit talking to you guys. Yeah. Um is that um, I think a year or two after uh, the cup final, Graham Moseley had a testimonial game uh, at the Goldstone. It was not long before the Goldstone was dumped. And Tottenham sent a team down, which included Gaza. But whoever was in goal at the time uh, was not available. And they were struggling to get a goalkeeper uh, oh. down to play in this game. And a guy arrived from Watford Juniors uh, who had dreadlocks. He, he was a black guy with, with dreadlocks, and uh, he was only young anyway. He was a big lad then, and we didn't know at the time, but this this was David James, right. who must have been about seventeen. You know, we'd never heard of him, and it was several more years before we heard of him again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a little bit of uh, trivia
2: there. Wow, oh, great stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I'm glad um to hear your story as well because I think that's a unique take on what was happening in the early '80s there, particularly that cut file. Um, yeah. I should also mention, I, I'm researching you just before the call. Um, that uh, I should acknowledge also. You you have an MBE, I believe. Is that right? yes?
6: Hard? Yeah. I it was for. It was for. Uh, charity uh, you know speaking at ch- you know i've been involved right. with all sorts of charities and also sports club fundraising i've um i've uh, raised quite a lot of money for sports clubs one way and another well ones that i've been playing playing for so um yeah. Yeah, in fo- football and cricket so uh, yeah yeah well
2: yeah, we that. that's all superb work and um I'm sure everyone appreciates that as well. That's good. Um, incidentally, you probably caught up with the Captain Tom scenario that's going on. I mean, he's certainly raised a bit,
6: hasn't he, for walking. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, of uh, course, in these times of virus, I'm, I'm wearing my goalkeeping gloves uh, because I've never caught anything while I was wearing them. <laughs> so it says.
2: <laughs> Wise move, Bob. Wise move. Yeah. <laughs> excellent so yeah thanks very much Um, really interesting stories and um, it's the first time we chatted but maybe we'll do again at some point
6: well Um, anytime yeah always happy to help and uh, maybe uh when we're let out when boris springs us yeah (laughs) we we can uh my cousin will get me up with the old seagulls over london one night
2: absolutely we'd love to have you there sure there'll be plenty of banter to be had as well So thanks once again there to Gordon Smith, Nick Ansley, Aidy Packham, Spencer Vignes, Raymond Wright, a.k.a. The Gent, and to Bob the Cat Bevan, MBE. Uh, Really interesting to listen to uh, the thoughts of all of you guys, and hope everyone listening has found that beneficial at this uh, sad time, this sad week. And also, if we can apologise for a little bit of sound issue... Uh, there there 's a few technical problems uh, at the other end of the line uh, when I was speaking to Spencer and to Raymond. Um, but hopefully you could hear everything okay there and um, we 'll be back with the next episode of the weekend with Pete and Robin. till then, stand or fall up the Albion
4: Sports social podcast network.